You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. So as the coal comes off, we are actually deploying more renewable energy. And because we've got the connection, we are a forerunner to meet that, meet that demand. Now, not only are we meeting that demand with the solar, but as you rightly pointed out, the Pika is dispatchable energy that can provide baseload power onto the grid to meet those demands. So essentially, the Pika operates both on natural gas and hydrogen. And in the absence of hydrogen, because we are so close to the critical infrastructure of natural gas, we can access cheap natural gas in our state. We can use that natural gas in the Pika plant and provide that baseload power. And when our hydrogen plant comes online, we can blend that hydrogen with natural gas as we continue to transition towards that 2050 zero carbon goal. I'm Bill Powers. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. In today's show, you're going to hear about a company that I soon will be an investor in in about two and a half months. Uh, about 18 months ago, I invested in a company called Metallum Resources. That company transitioned and became Waruna Energy. Waruna is now being acquired by Frontier Energy. And this is a company desiring to be a profitable power producer in Western Australia, producing one of the most in-demand commodities out there, which is electricity and the type of electricity that the government is rewarding. And here to discuss the value proposition and introduce Frontier Energy, which is a new show sponsor, is Sam Lee Mohan. Sam, you're a managing director. You're at the helm of Frontier Energy. Please describe your uh, project to us and the competitive advantages of what you're trying to accomplish. Bill, firstly, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be talking to you today. Um, Frontier Energy is an, an Australian integrated energy services provider with a primary focus on renewable and transitional assets. Now, fundamentally, really what differentiates us is our location. And what we have is we are surrounded by critical infrastructure. Now, in terms of the project, the project, our stage one is, is a 120 megawatt solar farm as a stage 1A, and then a stage 1B is a 120 megawatt dual fuel hydrogen capable uh, peaker plant. And the peaker plant can operate both on natural gas as well as hydrogen. And our stage 1C is potentially a 72 megawatt green hydrogen production plant. So those are the three ways you would aim to make money then? That's absolutely right, Bill. And what it is, again, it's all about our location and we are surrounded by critical infrastructure. Now, essentially, Frontier Energy has completed its studies and we found that we can deploy 120 megawatts of utility scale solar onto the grid because we've already got this critical connection onto the grid. And what that enables us to do is actually sell our electrons. We are generating carbon credits as well, which we can trade into the voluntary markets, as well as very uniquely in West Australia, we have a reserve capacity mechanism where we actually get paid to be available onto the grid. So these three revenue generating mechanisms enables us to deploy our solar and essentially move very, very quickly to revenue generating. And then once our solar is under construction, we are currently via Waruna Energy studying a 120 megawatt dual fuel pika plant. Now the pika plant will also generate income, a substantial revenues because of the connection onto the grid. 
And as, as you probably know, solar during the day, when the demand for solar energy is low because of all the surplus rooftop solar pumping into the grid, we actually, at that point, because of our location and the co-located nature of our project, we can actually deploy our hydrogen production plant. And at that point, we can use our excess energy to create hydrogen, which is energy storage, and then use that hydrogen to blend with natural gas and fire that through the gas peaker plant essentially generating revenue from three streams. Sam, comparing what you're trying to accomplish to the mining industry, if a company discovers a copper deposit, after discovery, it's at least 15 years, 10 at the minimum, before that can actually be in production. But this, the speed at which you're able to deploy and implement this project is a lot quicker than mining, isn't it? Well, that's a great question, great analogy. With energy infrastructure project, the technology is very mature. It's off-the-shelf technology. Solar has been around for decades. Pika plants have been around for decades. Hydrogen plants have been around for decades. Our feasibility study is on average around three months where we get that done and, uh, and concluded. And essentially, what's critical to renewable energy projects is actually your permits and approvals. And in this case, Frontier is one of the forerunners in Australia for renewable energy onto the grid because we have that critical connection already on the grid and we've got our development approvals to start construction on the solar. And how long would it take to get that connection to the grid if you didn't already have it? Another great question. On average, that's about five years to get that connection if you are lucky. And these connections, I love the analogy of it's like hen's teeth. So essentially, those connections onto the grid are very, very rare because connections, whilst available, are generally in the wrong part of the grid, in constrained parts of the grid. In our case, we are in an unconstrained part of the grid. We've got the connections secured, and it's very, very difficult to get these connections. And if you are lucky enough to get a spot where you can connect, it could take anything over five years to get that connection. We don't have any of those issues. We've already got these connections in place. Can you talk about what the duck curve is for those that don't understand the electrical markets and how you plan to capitalize on that? Yeah, so put really simply, essentially, when it comes to solar energy, generating energy from the sun, as the sun rises, and I'll just use some really, really uh, round timing, if you like, sun rises at 6 a.m. Essentially, that is known as the morning peak. And by 9 a.m., when households, etc., are no longer at home and the demand on the grid for power drops to an all-time low, essentially that peak starts to tailor off in terms of demand. But at that same point, there's actually a lot of production of energy onto the grid, but the demand is dropping. So picture this, at 9 a.m., the sun comes up and your energy is actually generating quite high. And then from 9 a.m., when your energy is still generating quite substantially, but your demand is dropping off, so that is essentially the duck's back as the demand drops off. But then in the evening from 3 p.m., when the demand starts to pick up, that's a shoulder peak and an afternoon peak. And at the same time, the solar is starting to drop off. Now, in the case of utility-scale solar, we have single-axis tracking, which means we track the sun. And whilst rooftop solar can't track the sun, they are just fixed, we can actually deploy our utility-scale energy onto the grid to meet those shoulder peaks. So to put it quite simply, is during the morning, 
we make energy, utility scale, and we can sell that into the peak market in the morning. During the daytime, when the demand is low, that's the duck's back, we can actually deploy and put our energy into hydrogen. And in the evening, we can deploy either our solar energy to meet the demand to sell that energy during the peaky period. Or in winter, we can actually deploy that energy through our peaker plant to meet those peak demands. So our strategy, we actually capitalize on the peak period. And when the opportunity to sell your energy is lowest during midday, we can store that energy in our hydrogen production plant. So that's how we capitalize and we sweat that asset and generate those revenues. Because the peaking plant is a dual fuel, it can use hydrogen or natural gas, you do have 24-7 baseload generation capability when the sun isn't shining. Well, that's absolutely right. Here in Australia, we've got a 43% reduction in emissions by 2030 from our 2020 levels and a net zero 2050. And under that policy, that legislation, we have the retirement of coal. Now, in WA, 63% of our energy comes from coal, and these are all assets that are set to retire by 2030. So as the coal comes off, we are actually deploying more renewable energy. And because we've got the connection, we are a forerunner to meet that, meet that demand. Now, not only are we meeting that demand with the solar, but as you've rightly pointed out, the Pika is dispatchable energy that can provide baseload power onto the grid to meet those demands. So essentially, the Pika operates both on natural gas and hydrogen. And in the absence of hydrogen, because we are so close to the critical infrastructure, natural gas, we can access cheap natural gas in our state. We can use that natural gas in the Pika plant and provide that baseload power. And when our hydrogen plant comes online, we can blend that hydrogen with natural gas as we continue to transition towards that 2050 zero carbon goal. Sam, there is different types of hydrogen uh, production. Could you briefly describe green hydrogen and how you're going to produce that? And also talk about why water is nece uh, necessary and how you have that in place as well. So Bill, green hydrogen is actually zero carbon hydrogen. It's produced through a process called electrolysis, which has been around for centuries. In terms of electrolysis, there's technology as in electrolyzers that is when powered by renewable energy, that energy through the process of electrolysis, it splits water into hydrogen and oxygen. Now hydrogen, when it's made from renewable energy, as in the case for Frontier Energy, we'll be using our solar energy, which is renewable power, renewable energy, power the electrolyzer, it splits water, produces hydrogen and oxygen, which is zero carbon. When you actually combust the hydrogen, you get two things. You get heat and you get water vapor, zero carbon, and that is green hydrogen. Other forms, other mature ways of making hydrogen is from steam methane reforming, which has still substantial amounts of carbon in the absence of, of carbon capture and storage, which is still maturing technology. Our focus is on green hydrogen, 100% green hydrogen strategy. And then one of the issues with the green hydrogen market is what do you do with it after you produce it? But with the peaking plant, you're basically solving that question, aren't you? That's right. And Bill, just before we jump onto that question, I just want to go back to the previous one, uh, just to finish off on your question, which is the critical aspect of water. Now. I've labored the point a few times that we are surrounded by critical infrastructure. And one of those critical infrastructure is actually water. 
Now, the water pipeline, which is one of the key assets in West Australia, flows right past our site. We've secured a 15-year contract with the state-owned water corporation to supply water from an existing desalination plant for the next 15 years, but not only for stage one, but also future stages as we grow. And this water is potable water, so it doesn't need any uh, tertiary treatment, secondary or tertiary treatment. It's actually good quality water to produce hydrogen. And also, fundamentally, if we did not have that the access to the water pipeline, we'd have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars constructing desalination plants and pipelines. We don't have to do any of that. We've got some capex and existing assets that we can tap into to produce that hydrogen. Sorry, Will, I just wanted to complete that question. No, that's a good point. And so the peaking plant, uh, what I was pointing out is, as I've learned, even speaking with you to understand what my investment in frontier energy will be, the peaking plant is the solution for the green hydrogen production. You have an offtake partner, which is yourself. Well, that's right, Bill. You know, the hydrogen industry, in every single modeling scenario globally, hydrogen has a fundamental role to play in the future energy mix. And we are a forerunner for that hydrogen. But the market is in its infancy. Hydrogen can be used for transportation, export, power generation, long-duration energy storage, etc. Now, in the absence or the or the nascency of the industry and because of our location and our connection onto the grid as well as our location to the gas pipeline we can actually design and construct a 120 megawatt dual fuel peaker plant which does two things it provides significant revenues just from power generation selling energy onto the grid because we've got the connection and equally important it provides the offtake for the hydrogen so the hydrogen becomes fuel for the peaker plant and in that case we actually have a circular economy within our company where we are not exposed to the third party market to to offtake our hydrogen so effectively creating our own offtake for hydrogen which substantially de-risks the company so you're functionally a utility company that is producing a needed product electricity that the government wants and you're producing it in ways that the government wants. Well, what type of incentives are, are available for you because of that? Well, very simply put, there's three revenue streams for energy on the grid. One is direct energy sales, and we have a very, very simple market in Australia. It's a supply and demand market, and the government essentially balances the market when there's a mismatch between supply and demand. That enables producers to go merchant, and they don't have to be contracted to actually start their construction and start to generate revenue. So the market mechanism is already available. The second revenue stream is the large generating certificates, which is essentially the carbon market. And for every megawatt hour of renewable energy we generate, we create a carbon credit. And under the current legislation, there are targets for uh, government entities to procure that as well as under many many companies are volunteering under the esg targets to purchase carbon credits from renewable energy so that's the second revenue that's available to us and the third one is very unique to western australia where the government pays you a um a, a credit they pay you to be available it's called the reserve capacity market and just today we published our draft benchmark reserve capacity prices for 2026 and 27 which is $220,000 a megawatt. 
Now, to put that into some numbers for you, our solar with those three revenue generating streams is a $30 million EBITDA business. And uh, renewable energy infrastructure projects are valued at, 50, at an average of 15 multiple. So $30 million multiplied by 15 is $450 million valuation on the solar stage one. The Pika plant essentially just purely, uh, purely incidental, if you like. It's also $30 million EBITDA, and that $30 million is another $450 million. So just by deploying those two assets, that's a $900 million valuation for the company. Now, once post the merger with Waruna is complete, our market cap would be around $200 million Australian. Our stage one capital for the solar is is uh, you know based on our DFS that we put out earlier this year, it's $160 million on a $200 million market cap. Post-construction of the solar, that's $30 million multiplied by the 15, that's a $450 million valuation. So it's already a significant uplift to, to shareholders. And the Pika plant, there's significant amount of government funding available, debt uh, financing available, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation being one of them in Australia. So essentially, for $160 million, uh, which is what our shareholders and equity contribution will be. Essentially, we are $900 million valuation with those two assets. And then when we bring in the hydrogen, that's a further uplift as well. And then the expansion capability, because you can build up to one gigawatt. And um, could you explain how many houses, just put it in practical terms for those that don't understand the electricity markets, how many houses could you potentially power if you build up to uh, one gigawatt? Well, 120 megawatts of solar at the moment, as it stands, is only 10% of our current land holdings and infrastructure capacity, if you like. Now, 120 megawatts can power 280,000 homes. Multiply that by 10, we can actually power over 2.8 million homes with 1.2 gigawatts of solar. And that's our capacity for our, our land holdings, essentially. So to put it into context for you, again, in terms of numbers, with our stage one, which is 120 megawatt solar and 120 megawatt pika with a $900 million valuation, that is only 10% of our capacity. So there's a substantial growth and a pipeline of growth that we have just with our current plan holdings. So you have the permits and the connections in place, but what's your time frame? You you need to get the CapEx, as you've mentioned. What's your time frame for the build-out? So Waruna Energy and Frontier Energy entered into an agreement, uh, which sort of by mid-December, uh, all things being equal, we'll see the merger being concluded. And on the back of that, we'll have a $200 million market cap Currently, Waruna Energy is progressing their definitive feasibility study on 120 megawatt solar, and it makes absolute sense that post the merger, we actually build stage one solar closest to the connection point, which Waruna land is closest to the connection point. And that means that we can take advantage of a lower capital number because we are closer to, to the connection point. Now, the DFS will be completed by November. The merger will be completed by December. 
early next year, we will finalize our financing. We estimate between 150 and $160 million uh, to construct the solar plant. The solar plant construction will start in the first half of next year, and it'll be concluded in 2025, mid, mid-2025, which will then start generating revenue by, we've also got a DFS being completed for the Pika plant as we speak. The Pika plant DFS will be completed by mid-November. The DFS will then enable us to uh, commence the process of our reserve capacity payments through government for the Pika plant, and this will be concluded by August of next year, which means at the second half of next year, all things being equal, we can start construction on the Pika plant and be operational in 2026, late 2026, early 2027. And the numbers you threw out, those are are Australian dollars, not U.S. dollars for U.S. listeners, right? That's correct. So it is all in Aussie dollars. Okay. And again, comparing it to mining, there's less potential hiccups when you're talking about this project because we're talking about at-surface, off-the-shelf implementation. But Bill, that's absolutely right. You know, one of the things about infrastructure projects, the technology is very mature. And in terms of our strategy, because we've got the permits, we've got the connections, it's the way I like to describe it is from here on out, it's more process rather than negotiation. So we are actually in a process, we complete our studies, we finalize uh, from a regulatory perspective, we finalize our submissions to government for our guaranteed payments under the reserve capacity mechanisms, which I mentioned a few times. And essentially it's then financing and construction. No negotiation, if you like. It's all processed from here. After the merger of uh, Waruna and Frontier completes in December, what would the treasury look like? And also share with listeners your burn rate, which is less than uh, many mining companies. That's right. So in terms of uh, our cash balance post-merger, you know, we've got about $21 million in the bank, Australian. We've got land to settle uh, and post-settling the land, we'll have about $14 million of cash in the bank. Now, essentially, that cash is sufficient to see us all the way through to construction, to commence construction. So there is no raises that we'll need to be doing in order to get to construction. That's point number one. Point number two is all of our studies have been completed on Frontier. Our hydrogen studies are completed. Solar studies are completed. Our hydrogen, dual fuel hydrogen peaker plant uh, via Waruna is almost complete. The solar DFS is, you know, we've already appointed a lead engineer uh, to complete those studies, which is all accounted for. Um, so essentially our burn rate is very, very low in the hundred of thousand, if not slightly lower. All right. And just remind us one more time as we conclude, upcoming news catalysts that investors should look for? Yeah. So in terms of uh, major catalysts, so obviously the announcement uh, that we're all waiting for is to conclude the merger with Waruna Energy. Uh, You can also look out for the DFS uh, publication sort of November at the latest early December on the dual fuel Pika plant. And early next year, it's completion of the DFS on the solar and on the back of that, it's actually financing. And very quickly after financing, it'll actually start construction. So these are the major catalysts that uh, we see over the next three to six months. Frontier's website is Frontier, the letter H, the letter E, dot com. It trades on the OTC QB in the States. 
under F-R-H-Y-F. It is illiquid at the moment, so just use limit orders if you're interested in the stock, not market orders. And on the Australian uh, exchange, it's very liquid, and it trades under F-H-E. Sam, really appreciate this up uh, this update and this introduction, and we'll be following up with you in the future. Wonderful. Thank you for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.